1: how's
0: it going everybody (laughs) welcome to another episode of the I think it's the best period I think I think I have the best podcast on the internet period Uh, there's a couple other that are up there near me uh, it's a no doubter. It's no doubt I put out the best podcast in the hunting space, hands down, period, point blank. Uh, and a lot of people co- say, Dan, why are you so cocky? Well, it's I'm not cocky, I'm confident. And uh, I'm just teasing. It's not a very good podcast. I, 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 I mean, who in their right mind could put out a good quality podcast? With only nine fingers, there's no way. It's impossible. I mean, i there's no way I can compete with the people out there who have ten fingers. It's just their, you know, I, I, my one hundred percent is their ninety percent, uh, and and so they have ten more percent. I mean, it's just simple math, right? They have ten more percent than me, and so anyway, I enjoy doing this, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So if you get an opportunity, go to iTunes. Leave a review, five star review for the best nine fingered podcasts that's currently out there. I'd appreciate that. Go to Instagram, follow you know follow along. Go to the Sportsman's Empire uh, website and check out all of the podcasts that are on the Sportsman's Empire network. Uh, we're just a group of guys who love hunting love the outdoors and uh, are just really really good at what we do Uh, and uh, I mean podcasting and so so I I have been arrogant I've been confident I've been humble and I just want to say thank you so I can check off the nice box now and so I've been nice as well so Uh, I really, I honestly really do appreciate everybody, you know, following along, uh, with the nine finger chronicles for as long as you have, man, I, I was looking back the other day and 2014 was the first episode I believe that I ever launched. And that just blows my mind that I've been doing this for as long as I've been doing it. I mean, geez, that's six, eight, I'm going on year number nine now. And, uh, I got to figure out what we're going to do on year 10, to make it like a tour, ten years of ten years of Nine Fingers, and maybe, maybe that's what I'll do. Maybe I'll I'll go on a nationwide tour and get a whole bunch of people hyped up to uh, do the podcast. So there's that. Anyway, anyway, what are we doing today? We're talking about trail camera strategy, uh, and and more specifically yet, trail camera deployment strategy. Where uh, today's guest is Josh Prophet. This dude is a hardcore public land bow hunter out of Kentucky on top of that the dude has like 50 trail cameras that he deploys over like what did he say 10,000 acres Uh, so he's running a lot of trail cameras he's getting a lot of intel from those trail cameras and we're going to talk with him today Uh, And I'm going to share my experience as well of the best places to hang trail cameras. uh, If you're looking for mature mature bucks, best places to hang trail cameras. If you're looking for just sheer numbers of pictures, best place to not only find deer, but to locate other hunters as well. And, And so it's just a really cool podcast where we talk a little bit about everything in relationship to trail cameras and how we use them in our strategy to locate deer and ultimately put an arrow through them so that's the goal of today's podcast uh and you know i feel i kind of feel bad for the public land hunters um who have used trail cameras in the past in a state like uh kansas where they've recently banned trail cameras on public land and so myself and josh we have this we have this conversation like hey dude What would you do if tomorrow they said no more trail cameras, uh, period? You know, whether it's public or private, you can't. You know, what would you do? So we have that discussion as well, and uh, man, it's a fun one. I I really enjoy. I haven't uh, dove into anything this deep lately, and it's good to have this type of conversation this time of year because, uh, I mean, let's let's get real. It's it's getting close to to get your trail cameras back out in the woods. Time I've I've had a couple cell cam images come through recently with deer that are already starting to spout you know velvet nubs, and uh, man that just means next year's crop is growing right now. So take that into consideration. On top of that, uh, we got to do some commercials now. So right out of the gate, tethered. If you are looking for a saddle uh, or if you just want to get as low profile as possible and to get as mobile as possible you need to go check out tethered tethered is a saddle company that makes uh, saddle saddle hunting accessories climbing sticks saddle platforms everything you need and then on top of that they have a very in-depth I guess you would say, uh, informational platform that allows you to watch videos, to read blog articles about how to shorten the learning curve to make you a better saddle hunter. So, uh, tethered is the most popular for a reason. So go check them out. Uh, wasp archery. If you are looking for in, 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 again, my opinion, they pay me, whatever, take that, how you want to take it. But, you know, I've been using I've been using wasp broadheads longer than I've had this podcast, and I have literally dis- ruined, I've destroyed uh, deer. Uh, watch them drop, you know, in sight, just amazing b- blood trails, uh, even on marginal shots, the damage that they cause, you know, it straight up causes deer to die. Uh, you have the best material possible, uh, and with that design, you have a broadhead that's just ultimately durable, and uh, just, it's a brick, it's the brick shit house of of, of Broadheads, and that's why I love it. Uh, on top of that, they just have amazing people who work for the company. So if you're looking for uh, to change a change of pace and you want a really good American, most of their heads are American-made Broadhead, wasparchery.com, 20% discount code NFC20, NFC20, and that's gonna get you uh, 20% off of your Wasp purchase. So buy a whole bunch. Um, on top of that, Vortex Optics. And uh, again, you know, I always... I talk I almost talk more about the people who work there than I do the products but it is the people that make the products. Uh, the products are superb but the people are superber, if that is even a word. <laughs> but in all seriousness, Vortex man, if you're looking for if you're looking for any optics for your firearm or for hunting You definitely got to check these guys out. They're the gold standard when it comes to uh, outdoor optics. Uh, And uh, I'm a huge fan of the company. I'm a huge fan of the people that work there. And I'm also a huge fan of the, uh, the VIP warranty. I have a pair of binoculars downstairs right now that I'm getting ready to send in because they've just been... They've been worked and they've been worked for the last eight years. And I want to continue to take advantage of that VIP warranty. I'm going to send it in. They're going to fix it and then they're going to send it back to me. And so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Next on the list, hunt stand. You know, it's that time of year where I'm just I'm, I'm really trying to figure out what the next moves are everything from next year's you know new locations to locations that I've been scouting and hunting and e-scouting for the last 15 years and so every year something changes and every year I try to document that on HuntStand and uh, just have as much information as possible on some of these uh, on some of the properties and uh, new old they have the functionality to help you gain as much knowledge about the land as possible on top of that they allow you to Um, you know, just, just check out weather. they have uh, a little bit of a predictive deer movement in there as well. And then on top of that, they have just, just high quality imagery. And really that can sometimes be the, uh, that can be the, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back on, you know, e-scouting. And so, so long story short, go check out huntstand.com, read up on all the functionality. And while you're there, check out the new pro whitetail platform. There's a little bit of an additional cost to sign up for that, but it's worth it if you're a hardcore White tail hunter, especially if you're a hardcore whitetail hunter in the months of, uh, you know, late October, early November, the, the breeding season timeframe. And there's a whole bunch of functionality around that as well. So uh, those are the partners. We got some new partners coming in in May. We got some new partners coming in in July. I'm looking forward to sharing those with you. And uh, man, I just, I every, as long as I've been doing this, I enjoy every one of these conversations and I hope that... That comes out in the interview. I love this deer hunting thing. I love the outdoors. Um, this I'm going to share that this weekend with my daughter. I'm taking her out archer or uh, uh, shotgun youth hunting, and so I'm really looking forward to this weekend uh, getting her out and uh, trying to get her her very first turkey. So uh, there's that. Let's get into today's episode with Josh Profit. Hopefully you guys enjoy. Three, two. One. All right. On the phone with me again today, Mr. Josh Profit. What's up, man? What's
2: up, man? I'm sitting out here at the barber shop in the truck. Yeah. we this podcast. Yeah. Yes, sir.
0: So uh let's see here. You you made the jump full-time, right? You just finished barber school and now you're a full-time barber.
2: Correct, man. Actually, I, I got a lot of stuff going on right now. Um been doing this about a month, month and a half, and I've had something fall into my lap that sounds a little bit too, too, too good to be true but I've had a land management company reach out to me and give me an offer. Um, nothing set in stone yet but actually I was in Ohio yesterday and I'll be in Illinois next week.
0: And so you took you took this this land management job
2: it's kind of a little trial and error but there's no contract drew up yet but i think it's coming really soon wow so wow i probably will be barbering um uh all summer long all spring long and this gig only lasts from december to april okay and i'm going to do it on my off days at the barber shop so it oh, should okay. work out good and probably and 20 25 farms a year
0: okay so when you say land management. Uh, a whole bunch of different things pop up. I mean, are you going to be doing the habitat improvement? You're going to be planting food plots, or, or, or going to be managing trail camera data? What's the what's the deal?
2: All of the above. Okay. All of the above. I won't. I wouldn't actually physically be planting the food plots or doing the timber management, but basically there would be a detailed plan where I spent a day or two on a farm, wrote out a good report, and then gave it to the landowner. I mean, yesterday. I was in uh, Southern Ohio and it went great. I was only there, I was there less than three hours. The guy was super happy. There was a lot of room for improvement on his farm. I gotcha,
0: gotcha. Well, that's interesting, man. It's I love how, you know, if you keep your options open, if you keep your options open in, in this world, something, and I, dude, I'm a, I'm a fan and a believer in good vibes. You put the good vibes out and, uh, you know, good vibes come back to you. But this sounds like it's funny. You put all the time and energy into something and then right away, right after you finish the barber school, it's just like, (laughs) hey, this is this is available, too. But it sounds like you're going to be able to do both.
2: Yeah, I mean, the the guy, the company that reached out to me, you know, it's hard to find somebody that has a work schedule like I do because I I make my own schedule. Yeah. um, And I can book these farms out you know months in advance Mm -hmm. so it just i mean it works out it works out great and honestly i I really do hope that it works out because i had you know i i've worked 20 years to get to where i was yesterday
1: yeah yeah and
2: it it, barbering's great i i do I, i i really don't mind it it's fun but yesterday was Absolutely did not feel like work to me,
0: (laughs) (laughs) man. And plus, I mean, what are what do guys like us dream about every single day? It's being out in the woods or going and doing something deer related, right? There, yep, yep, that right there. Well, awesome, man. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm happy for you. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it turns into something big and and you can uh, do what you love and make a little coin doing it.
2: Yes, sir. I appreciate it.
0: All right, so today, um I was, I was thinking about who hunts a lot like I do and, um, the amount of trail cameras that you run, how you, how you use trail camera data to locate deer, um, and, and then make a move on them is, is similar to the way that I do it. And so today I want to uh, talk a little bit about this, uh, this casting a net strategy. And I heard it, I heard this strategy once from Bill Winky. Um, and he when he when he mentioned casting a wide net and, and basically what that is, is a ton of trail cameras out all over the place until you locate a, a giant or a shooter buck, whatever that may be in, in in wherever you live. And then you you pull those trail cameras all tighter into that location to get a good idea of where this deer is, is potentially bedding that, uh, how he's accessing, you know, food sources, the terrain features that he's using and basically just, you know, p- like macro adjust your trail cameras until you, till you locate them. And I don't like everybody that I talk to, I don't think enough. Well, I shouldn't say enough. I don't think people are using trail cameras to their fullest potential. Now, I'm not talking about cell cams here. I'm not talking about, um, you know, being able to have instant data uh, because it just, like, cell cams just make that, that easier. I'm talking about just, like, the overall process. So what I want to do is I kind of want to break this whole thing down and talk step-by-step step through, um, you know, the, the properties that you hunt how you approach it with with trail cameras, and then how that ultimately leads into, you know, where you're placing your tree stands. Just get into it, bro. All right. So step one, and I'd like to start this off on a piece of property that you've never been in before or never been on before. When you go into this piece of property, what are you looking for as far as where to deploy trail cameras?
2: Um, three things, uh, bedding, food and hunter access.
0: Okay. And so break, break that down. And I want to start with hunter access. Are you like, how does hunter access play a role in where you deploy your trail cameras?
2: And the less access you can have, definitely the better you know, um, it definitely creates better hunter or better hunting opportunities, yeah. but you know, over the years I figured out that, you know, with all the podcasts and stuff that are being done, that a lot of hunters, you know, that for whatever reason, everybody wants to be deep or far away or on the edges. And, you know, I would say eight years ago, you know, a lot of my cameras were, weren't close to the parking areas but you know any any more there it's more of a grid pattern Mm -hmm. um and i do keep i do keep some close to the to the uh parking areas because i mean number one you just you never know you you know you, you can assume all you want but you know when you put something there that's 24 7 you know that that definitely puts a little information in your hip pocket
0: yeah and when you mean do you mean just from getting pictures of other people that kind of data or just you know information about deer that are is just closer to the road or to the parking area
2: both both um typically i mean uh, a perfect scenario an easy one to explain would be like a logging road right you know come the second week of October through the first week of November, you know, when they're really hitting them scrapes hard, you know, number one, the hunters are going to be walking down that road. And number two, the deer will, there will be scrapes all down yeah. that. Yeah. Everywhere I've hunted there are. Yeah. Um. And so you can, you can kind of knock out the best of both worlds. And um, I see a mix of both, you know, I I see big deer in late October on those roads in the daylight and you know, there's, Sometimes there's a lot of hunters and less deer, and sometimes there's more deer than there are hunters.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to the, the, the deployment, are you trying to hide your trail cameras at all? Are you trying to put them up high? I, I know you cable lock them to the tree, but every year it looks like someone messes with your trail cameras. Either that's take the SD card or steal them or or turn them uh, so that they're not you know, turn them back into the tree or something like that. So they're not getting any pictures.
2: Yeah. So this year was my best year ever. I ran somewhere around 50, 60 cameras. Um, I didn't have one SD card stolen. I didn't have one camera stolen. Wow. I had two, I had two turned, uh, one turned off a bean field, just back to the timber. And I had a render, a a cell camera turned to another tree. Mm -hmm. Um, but, yeah, and I typically don't hang them high, and I, and I think I'm going to start hanging them high, some of them. Yeah. Um, the reason why is because when somebody gets a picture of me, it's normally a camera that's up high. I just didn't see it. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have to lock them. Yeah. Um, But another thing that I do is I hang a lot of my cameras low, like just a couple inches off the ground. And you can't get away with that everywhere. I realize that because, you know, the snow and the stuff. But I can. And the detection range when you do that is typically better. And I feel like a lot of the times, as long as somebody's moving quickly, um, they they literally look over the camera.
0: Okay. I can see that happening. I mean, because a lot of the times when I'm walking through the woods, I'm looking ahead of me probably waist high or higher and I yeah think i mean I,
2: most most cameras are three foot off the ground right right i mean roughly i mean if you put one three inches off the ground um it does make it a little harder to see
1: yeah yeah
0: and you you mentioned the detection range did you did you mean that from the uh the uh people aren't seeing them or you're picking up more deer movement with them
2: uh more deer movement okay. um you know versus versus hanging your ca- I feel like when you hang your camera high it's pointed at such a tight spot um, and it does work but I definitely don't get the pictures I would if I hung my camera high versus if I hung it low if yeah. I'm going to hang my camera high it probably needs to be on like a scrape
0: or something right right all right so a little bit of that intel is for deer. A little bit of that intel is for uh, human activity. And and so let's, let's say you go and you check your trail cameras or you're getting these cell cams uh, sent to your phone, um, cell cam pics sent to your phone, and there is a lot of human activity. What does that mean for you?
2: I don't get too bent out of shape over it because this will be my 14th or 15th season on public. Yeah. Um, and it does affect the deer. Don't get, don't get me wrong. Um, but that typically all that does for me is tell me, you know, Hey, you know, this area is getting pounded out. Like maybe they know about this deer back here Mm -hmm. or two, like this is the time all the out-of-state hunters show up. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, those are typically the two things that, that mean for me, because I've realized that the deer that I hunt on this public land they're always there uh they don't ever leave they just figure out how to move around the humans and a lot of the times they they do do it in the daylight it may not quite be like they do on the uh on the private parcels right. um that that are hunted less but they but they will move in the daylight
0: okay and so that's kind of that, that's awesome because a lot of a lot of times people are just focusing on deer movement and then they don't know what the human activity is like. And a lot of the times, like you just said, the um, the human activity impacts the deer movement. And so knowing both of those things, it, I guess, would just be more pieces to the puzzle, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I can give you
2: an example of that. I had a, I had a food source that was about a mile away from the parking lot, mm-hmm. and you could access it with a boat, but it was three quarters to a mile of a boat ride as well. Yeah. So anyway, you went to it. It was it was tougher to get to, and um, there was probably three or four acres of standing corn late season. Uh, my my late season kind of revolved around that couple hundred acres there, mm-hmm. and from. The, the front field that connected that backfield, there was only one way to get to it other than a boat. And it was just through a, a little narrow pinch between the fields that they used uh, the machinery to get through. Yeah, And I, and I knew two, two things was happening. Number one, I was going to put that camera, and I put a cell camera there because I wanted to see how hard it was getting hunted. I put that cell camera in that pinch. And number two, I figured a lot of, Game would be walking through there, you know, at least at night. Yep. Um, but there was a, it was just a great little pinch. There was a pond and everything there, and it worked out great. It, it was probably eighty percent deer and yeah. wildlife moving through that. Um, very, very little, um, very little human intrusion. And th- to touch on that, um, the way that, that the things have changed now, I've noticed especially on that camera that that these out of state hunters cuz they were they were literally planning their hunts around the weather. They were showing up on the days the good they days. They should have yeah. The good days, yeah. yeah. You know, they were showing up on the days that you know, I couldn't go and I was like, "Man, I wish I could be there." Yeah. And they were showing up on those types of days.
0: Okay. Well, that tells you, I mean, in a way it tells you what you're dealing with. Right. Because a lot of times if it's 75 degrees and some guy walks through, he may, maybe he's just hardcore, but maybe he doesn't know what's going on either. And and so, you know, um, I always like to know whether a, a guy you know, who I share a property with is a, a killer or if he's just kind of a weekend warrior <laughs> ladder stand, you know, ladder stand type guy. Right, right. Right. Totally agree. So, so the, um, that particular, um, That particular pinch point uh, had way more uh, game activity on it, deer activity, than it did humans. And so um, the next kind of question that I have here is what type of location do you, because, you know, I'll just share with you where I uh, hang my trail cameras, Um, let's say during during season, and that's in uh, pinch points. It's in travel corridors, fence crossings. You know, sometimes over scrapes, uh, like just main terrain features. Uh, Staging areas uh, is is a big, a big place that I like to uh, hang cameras. Over all the years that you've been running trail cameras, and and your experience, and just the sheer number of images that you've captured, what what location seems to be the best place to capture? I'm going to ask this in two ways. One mature bucks to quantity of deer
2: both of them are the same food sources field edges yeah Now a lot of the time it will be night and i go in expecting that Mm -hmm. um but it's you know that i think a deer my personal opinion you know a deer's number one goal is to survive yeah and number two they got to eat so it doesn't matter if it's public or private um i'm putting you know, a lot, I always start out on the food sources. That's where I typically get all, a lot of my information at.
1: Okay.
0: All right. And so how then do you take that data and say, well, cause you know, I always say, um, a trail camera picture during the night is great, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to me really, because I can't use 1am data to plan, up. Uh, you know, to plan a hunt on a big buck. I I know he's in the area, but I can't use that to to make a decision on where to hunt. So how do you then take that information, whether it's just a doe group or a mature buck and like reverse engineer it to get to a stand location or an ambush spot?
2: It's, it's basically, it's just a great starting point, yeah. um, especially if you're getting a the deer there, you know, multiple times a week, like yeah. you can assume like this is where the deer wants to be. And if I've never hunted the farm, man, we're just going back out on aerial and we're going to, we're going to look for things like thermal cover, uh, sapling thickets, uh, ridges where the sun hits it when it comes up, you know, you talk about the leeward ridges and, things like that, just, just places that they will bed, that you will think they will bed. And if I'm not going to put a camera in there, I I really will. I'll start bouncing, bouncing around, you know, I'll go to this spot. Well, I think the deer may be bedded here. So I may be a hundred yards off the food, 150 yards off the food on this, what we would call, you know, a transition area. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, so, so is that kind of just guessing? Or are you using other trail camera data to make a decision like, Uh, I guess I would call it maybe triangulating this particular buck's location?
2: Yes, I would use other cameras for sure. Basically, I would grid the area out with cameras. I'd zoom out and I would look at, you know, all the points you know, which we all typically know now, you know, like a buck could be bedded here or a buck could be bedded here. Or if there's a clear cut or a sapling thicket, you know, you're going to know, well, that's, you know, that's some dense cover. There's definitely going to be deer in there. Yeah. Um, especially if it's within a quarter or half mile of a food source in late season, it may change earlier during the year, but that's how I do it.
0: Okay. So with that, then, um, where would, where would you say is, okay, the nocturnal images on the food source are, you know, is number one. Now, if you're wanting to take it a next step further and get killable pictures of him, and I mean daylight walking images of a mature buck or the most deer, does that then change? Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, let's just say i have three cameras with me and there are going to be five places that i think the deer could bed because a lot of times it is like that you know when you're looking at a couple hundred acres um i'm going to start at the ones with my cameras that are closest to the food sources okay um you know and and there may be some that are too close like there may be a point that I think the 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 deer are bedding on, and if you walk to the edge of the field, you can literally see the point. I I'll, I'll x them out because you you're gonna bump the deer before you ever get, even get to hunting, anyways. But if there is uh, a clear cut that's that's five hundred yards off of the off of the field, I'm definitely going to get a camera four hundred yards closer to it.
0: Okay. Okay. And and then what is the ultimate goal then? with that particular camera are are you then looking strictly for tree stand locations at this point or ambush spots
2: yeah just saying just daylight movement okay any kind of any kind of daylight movement basically you're just trying to connect the dots if you got you know bullwinkle out here four nights out of the seven on the Mm -hmm. field and he's literally showing up an hour after dark we're just trying to find where he's walking in the daylight
0: right and how 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 much success have you had being able to get that next picture of them you start off on the field edge and what i mean by that and this is kind of what i do i get the i get the field edge nocturnal picture of them and then i go okay i'm looking for this terrain feature maybe i'll throw a trail camera in this terrain feature that could potentially lead to this field a trail camera in this next one over here and basically, just try to move back into the timber of where he's consistently coming out of. Is is that what you're doing as well? Yes. Okay. Yep. All right. So each step seems to be getting closer to the deer's bedding area. Correct. All right. Yep. That's the good. All right. Now, how are you then doing this without, like you said earlier, bumping the deer out of the out of the bedding areas?
2: uh i think i do sometimes if you really want to know i I think i get too aggressive or i was wrong and the deer's somewhere else and a lot of things that you know people don't talk about is the ground scent man yeah especially like if you're on a food source that's that's getting pounded um man i don't know how long that ground scent will sit on there especially if if the ground's wet but it sits on there you know a hot minute yeah um so it is a lot of times it's a swing and a miss and a lot of times i've realized you know especially with my cell cameras um i won't get the deer right off and i and i really think that's because he's seen me or i bumped him or he come up through there later and smelt where i walked or you know maybe something like that but as far as picking the deer up man, I can almost always do it. Now, killing them is a different story, right, right. you know, but I can typically get daylight pictures of them. You know, that 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 would be my second go. My third go would be to kill them. Um, but I can almost always get the daylight pictures of them, you know, the last 30 minutes of light or something.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And and so as you, you know, as you're, as you're trying to, I don't know. Triangulate this this deer's position. Have you noticed? Is there is there a time frame? Like if you do if you do bump them, how long it takes for them to recover and, and come back to some kind of consistent uh, consistent pattern? Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly. It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all.
2: I think it's by the deer. Mm-hmm. I really do. I, I've seen them. Show up the next day, and I know I've bumped them. Yeah, and then I've seen them where it took, you know, two weeks, or sometimes, you know, not never. Now I still may be getting them on the field, but they've switched something up big time to where I've really got to adjust. And sometimes I I don't find them. Yeah, um, if I'm being honest, I can still get them at the field, and it may be later in the night, but I just I don't know. And the thing that makes it tough is. I, I really do think with everything I'm telling you, the deer on the, on the public ground move a lot further mm-hmm. than the deer on the private ground. Like, I don't think a mile every night is nothing for a deer. And I can explain that. Um, we found some sheds in January and February off of a big deer, off an eight pointer, like pushing 160 mm-hmm. 70 inch side sheds, four point sheds. Wow. Uh, one was found right in the food source, uh, a month later, the other one was found like 1.2 miles
0: in the timber.
1: <laughs> that's nuts.
2: And you know, he, he, there's no other food source, you know what he, he was, yeah. he was just making that trip.
0: Yeah. And that's crazy. Cause, um, that time of year, right. The, the does are bedding so much closer to, to the food source. So it, it just kind of tells you something about these, these these older bucks that they're willing to live in places that may not be comfortable for them, but they they'll live there to survive and traveling a mile, man. That's, that's nuts. that that's like Western whitetail type travel where they'll drop down into a river bottom, then walk a mile up through pasture to get to a pivot or something like that. And uh, yeah, I've noticed, I've noticed some of that too. Uh, Not necessarily directly what you're saying, but big blocks of timber that there's no ag around this big block of timber, but there is across the road, and they're traveling three quarters of a mile to a mile out of this big block of timber to, you know, at dark, basically. And, And I just so happened to hunt the staging area before they crossed the road, which a lot of the encounters that I had came that's where they came. That's prop- That property has since been sold, but they were traveling long distances to come up to this egg. and the egg was plentiful up, up top, so they were able to access that egg in several different positions or several different locations, but they were all kind of funneling through the same ridge system going back to bed every morning, and which was cool because I felt like they were staging um, in the mornings, Right, Almost like they wanted to stage and wait till it got just a little bit light before they crossed the road. And then they would come back in. So it allowed me time to get back into the staging area in morning hunts. And all this was documented on on trail cameras too, right? I I mean, it it was this giant funnel. And so you could tell every morning at the same time, doe groups and, and bucks, the bucks came a little bit sooner. But it let me know that, hey, as things start to get closer to breeding i'm going to be able to get in here sit by you know sit on one of these doe groups and hopefully one of the big boys comes in behind him yes yeah. yes yeah and so how much weight are you putting on that information uh, of let's just say doe groups right is this something that you you're you're always thinking about uh are you how much weight are you putting into doe groups versus mature bucks
2: Late october early november uh putting all my weight on them
1: yeah okay
2: (laughs) you know and um i think you know like what i've found is i typically don't have if even if it's late season i don't have you know four or five young bucks and 10 does on one field and then a half a mile away have one mature buck eating in a field by itself they're typically all in the same general area and if it's not on the same field it's another field close yeah and then you may have to jump a, a good ways a half a mile or more to find another group of deer like that you know as far as like late season goes
0: yeah, yeah. and so as you start to um, as you start to you know put these cameras up collect the data uh, at what point are you moving trail cameras or bringing more trail cameras into an area or moving trail cameras out of an area like how do you how do you do your your location adjustments throughout the season
2: man I'm a little odd I don't move a lot of cameras I really don't because what I've learned is over the years, you know, I've, I've literally ran trail cameras since they come out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had, I've had them all. Yep. Um, a lot of mine stay in the same locations, not all of them, but a lot of them do because I've learned sometimes that I'm just wrong. Like i admit it in, a, in an area that I was thought was going to be hot in early October. It may not be hot till the first weekend of January. Yeah. And I've, and and I really don't know why, but yeah. that happens. And I'm checking them at the earliest every two weeks, okay. but it's typically like just a couple times a year.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. Just cause
2: I have so, I have so many and I have more time now, but you know, my time is limited. Yeah. And you know, when you, you know, the way that I run my camera is over five, eight, 10,000 acres. Like, that's a lot of walking
0: that is for sure it's a lot of walking that's a lot of walking and a lot of batteries
2: man i know that's a lot of <laughs> lithium how, how much money a year
0: how much money do a year do you spend on batteries is it a mortgage payment
2: man i don't, I don't. <laughs> yeah it is it is and the, i found the best way to buy them is it sounds yeah the, Yep, but it is. It's it's over a thousand, I think. Yeah, it's over a thousand.
0: The the best part about working with Interstate batteries is that I get the hookup for the lithium double uh, A batteries, and so um, there you go. I uh, I take advantage Solid of that. Solid move. Heck yeah, heck yeah. All right, and so um, big buck on camera. You get them on two, maybe three. What's the next? I mean, what's the next step look like for you? How how are you? How are you f- sealing the deal?
2: We gotta, we gotta, we gotta start hunting, man. Yeah. We got, we, we gotta hunt. And you know, I typically go into a place with like A, B, and C. Like A is where I really think he is. B, he definitely could be there. C, I don't know, but and then I will. I'll start. I'll start cutting away. And it's tough. Like it all sounds so easy when I'm just sitting here talking, but there's so many things: the wind, mm-hmm. the temperature the hunting pressure and so it's really hard to pinpoint and say like oh yeah he's coming through here because honestly it's it's just an educated guess man yeah it's just going in there and sometimes you can go in there and you can see the deer Mm -hmm. um you know i can give you an example on that when i was hunting at food source this year i did i hunted a warmer day well i just looked at I didn't have very many cameras set up off the food. Um, so I bounced way in the timber. I bounced three, 400 yards off the field and I come in a different location because I across this ridge or across this valley, there were some points and some thicker sapling thickets. I was like, man, one of these three bucks I'm hunting, like they got to be over here. Yeah. But dude, I was, I was wrong. I was dead wrong. I seen one of the deer that day I was wanting to kill and he was coming from the field. Yeah. I so, mean, he come by me 80 yards, you know, he, and he wasn't going to the field that night. He was not in the daylight. Yeah. Um, and I just looked up and they were herded up, you know, four or five does and a few bucks. And they, he, I literally watched him come from down the hill. And then, so then I'm like, well, the deer wasn't definitely wasn't bedded over here where I thought he was. Like he was closer to the food. Mm-hmm. And I think that deer was so close then that if you didn't hunt the field edge, like you, you were going to bump him. Like if yeah. you went in the woods um, and that's just a chance you take. Um,
0: Did you ever try to get in behind all... him? No, yeah.
2: I, I didn't. I yeah. didn't, but that's, that's what I did that day. I yeah. ended up behind him. Yeah. Um, and if I would have hunted that field that day, you know, I never, I never would have seen that particular deer and I just would have chalked it up as a, he either didn't come here or, um, B, he's just not going to make it in time, but I don't know what they were doing. I mean, they headed into the middle of the timber okay. at, at an hour before dark. It's like, I, I, I don't, they were browsing on something They had to be, yeah. And if they went in the field, you know, I don't remember if I got pictures of that deer that night, but if they went in the field, it was like midnight.
1: Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. So did you then make an uh, an adjustment off of where you saw that buck come out? I checked more cameras. I checked more cameras. And what did the cameras tell you?
2: That the deer was bedding further away than what I thought. He was in a clear cut about three quarters of a mile away. Okay. I was, I had, I, I, I had got him several times crossing a very small food plot on public land mm-hmm. in the morning,
0: coming back to bed.
2: Like, yes, and it, it, was a, it was it was literally a straight clear cut, and I knew deer bedded in it, um, but I didn't. I wasn't for sure if they were walking that far, you know, between bed and feed. Yeah. But that deer. I'm not saying he did it all the time, but, uh, several times he was because I bet he didn't go a hundred yards past my, my trail camera. My, my trail camera was literally right on the edge of the, of the clear cut. And I, I got him a bunch of times between six 30 in the morning and eight AM, you know, broad daylight crossing a food plot and the food plot wasn't wide. He was in the open 15, 20 yards. And then he was, yeah. you know, he vanished again. Yeah. Um, so, it just goes to tell you, like, you know, even though I've been doing this a long time and uh, I'm decent at it, like, sometimes you're just wrong. Right. A lot of times you're wrong.
0: But it's how you use that wrong, like, how, and, and it's not like you were wrong. I, I look at it more like you made an educated guess and it wasn't the right spot. But you then knew, you, but you learned something out of that, Correct.
2: Oh yeah. Like I, I definitely, I found another, well, I knew it was a known bedding area, but I found one of that deer's bedding areas. Yeah. And I think he was going there more than, than what I thought. Um, so, which means that I would have had to have really adjust, you know, I would have been bouncing off that food plot and going 400 yards down in the timber versus mm-hmm. 150.
0: Right. And so it, it ultimately allowed you to be more aggressive in your uh, you know, further into the timber off the food edge, right? Or off the field edge.
2: Yes. I mean, I'm as definitely as aggressive as they come. And I think yeah. sometimes that hurts me and sometimes that, that helps me, but you know, I, that's just how I am.
0: Yeah. And so uh, did you then make any additional moves on this, on this buck?
2: Um, there were several deer there using that. And my, my best sightings actually come from seeing him in the field, mm-hmm. just on the the better days. Okay. Um, so you I were... think I've seen the deer, that particular deer, um, I've seen him four times in the daylight in the, in that same field and he would never, he was never coming out in the same place. Okay. I mean, never far, you know, yeah. 200, 300 yards apart, but it was never the same place and
0: but it was the you same know, it, food it source. Yes,
2: yeah, same yeah. food source, same same field, same 3 or 4 acres of standing corn, but you know, the, it would literally be in it and it goes to show you like how some deer use the wind in their advantage like I would be over here and I would have if I wanted to be there I'd have to be there because of the wind and then the wind would change and I would be over here and the deer would literally walk 20 yards from the tree I was in 2 days ago. Yeah.
1: Okay,
0: and
2: I and then I I was I was being really careful about my access and stuff like as far as my ground sin I was making big loops around and those types of things.
0: Yeah. Okay. Where is a place uh, that would maybe you you found maybe by accident over the year or let's just use the word overlooked? What's an overlooked place to hang a trail camera that people may not think about?
2: Roads. On the roads.
0: On the roads. Um,
2: yep. I can tell you the, the best way to do it is, um, this piece I hunted this year, one side of the road was all timber. The other side was a lot of ag. Yeah. You know, deer could bed either side, but when we had the snow, I just started paying real, real close attention to how the deer were moving. Um, and because I put so many cameras out, there are a lot of cameras I put within 100 yards of the road. There are some I put to where if you're driving down the road, you can see them. Mm-hmm. And those are definitely overlooked places. And typically, A, they do not get hunted. And if the road's not traveled very much, like the deer literally use them in the daylight. Did you see uh, the match sheds I found from the road this year?
0: I think so, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yep. That was one of those places. Um, and I had a lot of daytime deer especially in the rut and later in the year three years older older i was getting daylight pictures of them. my camera was 20 yards off the road like i didn't even shut my truck off yeah i just put it parked, hop the hill hop the fence switch the cards and number one i knew i knew what the deer the deer were bedded over here they were feeding over here and two it was it it was very efficient for me because mm-hmm. it didn't it didn't take it was less than a minute to check the camera yeah
0: for sure uh dude i'll tell you this man uh 2018 maybe 2019 i can't remember 17 18 and 19 i think it was it was 3 years i chased this mammoth this giant like he had like 12 inch brow tines and he was he was probably pushing He's probably pushing 205, 210, something like that. Just a giant. And junk all over. i I've, I posted a couple pictures of him. You know, no pictures of him since. But anyway, um, this buck, I I it was it was late season and there was still standing corn across the road from this big block of timber that I hunt. And I could see there was no snow, but I could see that there there was a gate opening in in this uh in this fence across and that's where all the deer were piling in you know you could see where they were eating the corn uh closest to that fence opening and then it would get pushed back but so uh, there was a a a down tree and i put a cell cam i put a cell cam there and sure enough for like five days in a row but it was all after dark uh they came he was he was coming through this gate opening um, or well. I had, the, I had the camera facing towards the road on my side of the property, and then he was crossing the road into another property, into this cornfield, and I got multiple pictures of him doing that. And so I used that information to kind of find out what ridge he was using. I moved in there to try to get him. I never did because he, I, have, I have a feeling he was, coming, he was coming from a long distance away uh you know kind of what you were saying he was in this big block of timber he was like several several uh ridges deep in this big block of timber and then he was just traversing these ridges all the way uh on you know one side of wherever the wind was blowing he was on one side of the ridge or the other that led up to this little this little fence gate uh that he was in and so i uh i tried i've, I've never ran into him now the next year though I had a sighting of him on the same ridge during the rut, and then that was the only time I ever saw him from the tree stand. And so, I, 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 I was flexible with my trail camera locations, or, or uh, fluid with them. Moved them around, tried to get him. I got him, brought some more in, and got another picture of him. And then I used all that information just throughout the years to create like a, 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 a shape or some kind of I call it a core area map. You can create those by using tons of trail camera data, and so I don't know. That's that. That was how I approached it. I never did get a, a hold of them, but I, you know, I, I could provide several examples uh, in the past of me using trail camera data to kill deer
2: absolutely and if you do run a lot of cameras like you or i like you'll you'll realize like that some of the deer they really are different like mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of the deer have a wider that i hunt have a wider range like home range yeah. but you know i had one four or five year old deer that was an absolute giant one time and when he was three years old i think three or four i think he was three he was all over the place mm-hmm he was all over he was all over two thousand acres yeah and the next year when he was four or five dude i couldn't get him to leave 300 acres right like and it that made it it definitely made i thought i was going to kill him um and but i just i didn't have time he was he ended up crossing the line and dying during rifle season on private ground but it just goes to show you like exactly what you talked about like some of them deer have you know, big ranges, if you were to draw a circle out and some of them do have smaller ranges.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: So recently there was a new law passed in Kansas that said no more trail cameras on public land, period. Let's say Kentucky passes that law and says no more trail cameras, period, sell, standard, anything on on public land. How does your approach change? Well, first off, I'm going
2: to, be pissed off and start crying
0: <laughs> that would suck man Second. that would suck
2: oh uh, you got twenty thousand dollars in cameras we're just gonna leave them in the garage
0: <laughs> well i mean you at that point you got twenty thousand dollars worth of trail cameras it would probably be worth your while to just move to a different state <laughs>
2: yeah I, I, it, you stole the words right out of yeah. my mouth. I would be going to, I'd be going to Indiana.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. That, that's where it
2: would start. But to re- to really answer your question, man, here's the thing, you know, I've had so many people tell me like, dude, what are you, what are you doing out checking cameras? Like you need, it's November or it's late October. You need to be in the stand. And I've said this on podcasts for the last five years. Like I really do scout. 75 or 80 percent of the time
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and that scouting comes when i'm checking my trail cameras like that's what i'm doing yeah like i'm not just out checking trail cameras i'm cutting ridges i'm looking for fresh that's how i find my fresh sign it's not by hanging and hunting it's by checking my trail cameras yeah bottom line um i think that i could still kill and maybe even every year but it if I was to want to hunt a, a specific deer, man, I might as well. I need a bag of magic pixie dust. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Specific deer. That,
2: that's, yeah. Um, And it's going to be hard to really hunt like a cow. like I was, yeah. like I like to do. You know, there may be, you know, Josh Prophet hunts, like there may be a 160 inch deer over here along with a 130. And then I can go two miles down the road. And on the same amount of property, I may have five or six one thirties and one forties. That's that's where I'm going to hunt. Yeah. Um. I've never been a big buck hunter. I don't. I don't know that I ever will. I just always stack my odds. Yeah. Um. Because I just like shooting a good deer, a good respectable deer. Yeah. Um. It's It's going to make it tougher, man. Like, let's just be honest. It's going to make it a lot tougher.
0: Yeah. I feel like I would still have the 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 same amount of success as far as killing a deer but I'll tell you this right now you take away my trail cameras I don't know the the top tier bucks on the farm I'm not shooting the caliber of deer that I'm shooting now uh, I'm not passing 140s like anymore you know I'm I'm to get to a 150 or something like that or or the top the top buck on the farm. I'm just not doing that anymore. Uh, because you don't know. I mean, I have had years where there's been, uh, you know, uh, five Boone and Crockett caliber deer on 500 acres. And then there's also been years where the biggest buck has been a 140 inch eight pointer on the property. He was a big body bastard, but he was, you know, in the antler department, he was smaller. And I, I, I would have to, I'd, I'd be shooting those deer because you just can't, you don't know. Absolutely. anymore, And so, uh, it just kind of lets you know that trail cameras are this, this, this luxury of sorts. And, uh, I'm just happy that I can, I can use them right now, but I don't think I would be like uh, that upset about it. Uh, you know, I, I would, I would be like, God, that sucks. But I don't necessarily, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily change the way I'd hunt. I actually think I would hunt more because I would have to be the trail camera. I would have to get more insight with my own eyes. It'd lead me to hunt more. It, it would lead me to bounce around to more areas more. And then almost kind of like a scout and hunt, you know, walk into the timber, look for the sign set up over top of it, and then just slowly check and cross all those spots off as opposed to checking a trail camera over a scrape or something or in a pinch point and you're just like, well, there, obviously there's nothing here. Uh, that's that grabs my interest. I'm going to move to the next spot.
2: Correct. I mean, I I've always ran trail cameras, but I never started run them, running them in volume until 2016. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm like you. And one thing I think that I would have to force myself to do is is just to scout, to, yeah, you know, I'd have to put it in my mind that, hey, you know, we got two days to hunt. We're going to scout both days, half a day each day. Like, um, I'm going to scout this morning, and then I'm going to hunt this evening. And then, A, I'm either going to hunt the same spot this Sunday morning and then scout a little bit midday or something like that. I think I would have to force myself to scout because it would be, it would be hard for me to get in my mind like, Hey, I can't, I can't hit this 500 acres and check four or five cameras yeah. and look for fresh sign. It's, Hey, we're got, we got to go find fresh sign. Do you want to take your stand with you now? Yeah. Or do you want to come back? It would be an adjustment. And I, and I think I, I know I would be okay. Um, but it, it just wouldn't be as fun. And that's why yeah. I'm out there, man. I, yeah. you know, I'm, like I said, I'm not the big buck killer and, I really do like to have fun. That whole time I was chasing, you know, bones this year, it was, I was not, was not having fun. It was horrible. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing that the trail cameras do do for me. I, man, I have so much fun checking them.
1: Oh yeah.
0: I'll tell you this, man. I got a cup. I have, I'm going turkey hunting, a uh, youth season with my daughter this, uh, this Friday and Saturday. And while I'm out there, I'm going to be pulling all my trail cameras down. Um, that I have up on, on my main farm there. And uh, it's just to see what came through. Cause the last time I checked them was late October. And so just to see what oh, came, man. what came through there throughout this past year is going to be, I don't know. I just love, I just love doing it. I love checking trail cameras. I love looking at pictures of deer. I love you know, where did this buck come from? Oh, my God, I got him on two ca- trail cameras now. Is he going to run the same pattern next year? Blah, blah, blah. And you just, you snowball out of control. And, and, uh and, uh but that's the part of it that I absolutely love, man. Absolutely. And I'm, you're
2: probably antsy right now. I'm antsy for oh, you. they
0: have been out since October. Yeah, I'm antsy. I'm definitely going <laughs> to, uh, like, I'll be out there with my daughter. I'll, she'll be, I'll be trying to get her a turkey. But in the back of the mind, I'm like, all right. They stop gobbling. Let's go get these trail cameras and, and then head back to the house. Feed her, and uh, I'll be looking through some trail camera picks. So stand by. Maybe something big shows up. <laughs> well, Josh, man, I, I really do appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, to do this. Good luck with your new venture as a land management specialist and uh, cutting hair as well. And uh, man, we will uh, we will talk to you when we talk to you. All
2: right, man. Appreciate it. Thank you.
0: And that brings us to the end of another Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, man. Huge shout out to all of you. Thank you for taking time out of your day to hop on and download and listen to all of the Nine Finger Chronicles episodes. Please share with a friend. Get the word out more. Um, I know I'm not the biggest, but I feel like I'm one of the best. And I really would like you to share all of this content with uh, your hunting buddies and uh, let them know about the information and the entertainment that they can get out of this podcast huge shout out to josh uh for taking time out of his day to hop on and uh, talk to us about his hunting strategy. Uh, last but not least, man, huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, Vortex, and Hunt Stand. Man, we really appreciate here at the Nine Finger Chronicles, or I should say I, really appreciate the the brands that I work with. Uh, please go out and support these brands. They are the check writers, right? Let's be honest. They write the checks. I get to do this for a living. I get to give you guys this free badass content on on not only uh, you know iTunes and Spotify, but on YouTube now as well. We've been recording all of our episodes, and we've been playing them on uh, on uh, YouTube as well. So go check it out there if you if you want to actually watch the interview go down. Other than that, man, it's all about the good vibes, right? So it's good vibes in, good vibes out, and we will talk to you next time.